Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we are here with part two of um, us interviewing Bibiana Princeton, the host of Princeton Cannabis Review. Um, this is Why Will No One Date These Guys with Naomi Guy and Joel Guy. Awesome. That was really creepy and weird whisper. Um, Love it. Thanks, so, Naomi. Yeah, of course. Anytime. It was kind of like a serial killer vibe. Um, <laughs> Um, so like Joel mentioned, BB, we are, uh, celebrating 2020 too much fun. How have you been treating yourself this year? What are some fun things that you've gotten up to so far? So far, I have only smoked top shelf weed this year. Awesome. Great. It's like a lot of variety. I'm just, you know, whatever. I'm going to have what I want. And what else have I been doing for fun? Um, I'm gonna have to think about that. <laughs> okay. okay, we'll come back to you. We'll come PB, back to for you. our listeners, and by that I mean me because I'm uninformed in these areas. What's the difference between like a lower grade weed and a top shelf one? So the smoother high, a better experience, different flavors. So um, a higher THC level, um, um, a lot of terpenes, a lot of flavor, um, breaks up nicely, smells great. Uh, burns correctly. Naomi, what have you Um, been up to? I've been um, burning some really nice candles. Um, BB for my birthday got me this like really nice, I think it was like guava tangerine or something. It smells so good. I burn it like once a week and it's like, I've been trying to save it because it just smells like heaven. Like if you imagine what heaven smells like and then add more like, like good smelling things, that's what it smells like. Um, what else have I been doing? I've been trying to um, not drink alcohol. It's been very hard. Um, last weekend, I went out with my friend and got a um, bathtub full of gin. Um, it was expensive, what? but it was good. Um, it was like a mini bathtub. It was like maybe like a foot long. Oh, and geez. then it was like, <laughs> it was, That's too it much literally, gin. it looked like a mini bathtub, but it was like gin and cucumber water. And it, it was just so good. And it came with little mini rubber duckies. It was so cute. Um, I like went bar hopping. We went to a bunch of like cute little speakeasies in downtown Phoenix. So it was like a lot of fun. I had the best nachos I've ever had in my life last weekend. Um, everybody who lives in Phoenix, go to Pigtails, uh, order the nachos. They're so good. Joel, how about you? Uh, sorry, I'm still reflecting on you saying I've been trying not to drink alcohol followed by. So then we ordered a bathtub working. <laughs> told you it wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to do more cooking. Um, I've been doing a bit more Korean food. I really like the flavors of Korean food. Unfortunately, I've had an upset stomach for the last couple of weeks. So not too many spicy flavors um, are on my uh, menu at the moment. Uh, but then I also have been uh, trying to get back into like better baking. It was uh, Lauren's birthday last weekend, and so I made her a triple coconut cake with a coconut buttercream frosting and a uh, butterscotch white chocolate ganache. And uh, it was I believe so she said, good. I believe she said it was the best cake she's ever tasted, which is, I guess, what a significant other should probably say. But like, I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's I had a, I had flashbacks to a time in college. I think this was freshman year um, when I was whipping up a chocolate ganache in the kitchen. I don't remember why I might've had some extra cream or something. I don't think there was a purpose. It was just chocolate ganache. And one guy on our floor came in and he was super inebriated. 
And he's like, can I try some? I'm like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And he takes some and he goes, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever tasted. And I'm feeling like kind of, you know, good about myself. And one of my friends comes over and goes, well, Joel, you realize he says that about everything he eats when he's drunk. And I'm Aww. like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no. um, so BB, welcome back. This is a completely different week. This definitely isn't a follow-up to the recording we just made. <laughs> Um, we're glad you could schedule two different points in your schedule to uh, have us. Um, but yeah, we mentioned this in the first part, and um, I, I want to go into a little more detail about this. You run a podcast called The Princeton Cannabis Review, and you're trying to normalize weed culture and discuss like the proper use of drugs and why people use drugs. And I think there's still a lot of misconceptions around drug use in our culture. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the misconceptions people have and then some of the reasons you yourself use it. So I think there's a a big misconception around uh, cannabis. Um, You know, I think over the years it it was thought of as a gateway drug or something like that. And I, and I can definitely say it is not a gateway drug. I feel that it is uh, a medicine that actually helps you maintain your endocannabinoid system. So in the sixties, uh, Dr. Rafael Machulam, a scientist in Israel, he found this out about this system. And basically what it is, is um, it helps maintain our homeostasis. And we have receptors in our body that either uh, let a signal go through or it doesn't. And THC and CBD and the things found in the marijuana plant help maintain our homeostasis. So um, I've been smoking weed and then I find out, oh, okay, great. There's this research that's been (laughs) suppressed and it's now coming out that says, oh, this is all great. You know, and I think the other week it said something about COVID and diabetes, you know, so there's just a lot of research out there that is still happening and, um, you know, needs to come forward and, for me, it's, it's, I feel that, um, you know, we, we just, it, uh, in the 1940s, it was part of the pharmacopoeia, you know, so it, it's been demonized and it has been a healing plant for longer than it has been demonized. And I just want to normalize uh, weed culture, you know, for everybody, actually, you know, but especially people my generation, because you know, we tend to be stuck in our ways sometimes. And and if we can open up our minds, then it can trickle down. And I think that, uh, you know, younger generations, it's, there's not that much uh, prejudice against it or uh, stigmatism, of, you know, or, or maybe there is, I'm not sure. But I think for my generation, it's, it's, it's more black and white. Yeah, I think, what you're saying is accurate. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on because whether people like it or not, drug use is becoming a lot more normalized. And in the context of relationships, it can be a deal breaker for a lot of people, whether you do or don't smoke. Um, Just a couple of stats that I was able to find about drug use um, from 2020, among people aged 12 or older in 2020, 21.4% of people had used illicit drugs in the prior year. And that's in the United States. That's 59.3 million people. 
So in 2020, is most commonly used illicit drug was 17.9% of people aged 12 or older. I like how they're using 12 as the baseline, yeah. um, using it in the last year. <laughs> the percentage was highest among young adults aged 18 to 25, 34.5% of them, or 11.6 million people, followed by adults aged 26 or older, 16.3% of them, or 35.5 million people. Then by adolescents aged 12 to 17. Oh, okay, that might be it. 10.1% or 2.5 million people. Um, so there is unfortunately a high percentage of people who use opioids. Uh, among people age 12 or older in 2020, 3.4% misused opioids, heroin, or prescription pain relievers in the past year. Uh, among the 9.5 million people who misuse them, 9.3 million people misuse prescription pain relievers compared to the approximately 900,000 who used heroin. Um, and then in 2020, 2.6% of people aged 12 or older, or 7.1 million people used hallucinogens in the past year. The percentage among young adults aged 18 to 25 was 2.4 million people and higher than the percentage among adolescents or adults aged 26 or older. So drug use is here. Uh, I don't think it's going away anytime soon, especially if we consider that the younger generations seem to be a little more interested slash open to it. And so I think it's important then to discuss is that a problem and how you can like balance drug use and like happy, successful relationships? So, so I can speak to my experience and, and just say that I'm, I managed to get here to 60 and I started smoking in college. So it was a little bit later, but I think that, uh, there's all these different options for people to check out. And kids are going to be influenced. Oh, am I going to smoke weed? Am I going to drink alcohol? Those are probably the two things that they're, or if it's worse, then they have opioids and all that other stuff. Because frankly, opioids will kill you. You know, it's, um, I don't want to go off on that, but I think that um, it's here. Everything is here, right? And it's about choices. So if you have a strong community, and you're able to make different choices, um, that's great. But if, if, if you don't have any supervision or, you know, um, there's no structure in your community, then bad things can happen. So is that, does it mean drugs are bad or whatever? I mean, I think that children should not be doing anything. You don't personally. think twelve-year-olds should be able to smoke marijuana? No, no, this is for adults, eighteen and over. You know, and then and then the thing is too is if you're eighteen, you have all this energy. You better be using it for school and going your side job and all that other stuff. And if you smoke a joint, big fucking deal. But it's like all all, all about capability and proportions and and all this other stuff. And then if you have mental health, then you should be addressing your mental health issues. You know, I think that. Uh, you know, my kids, my family was breaking up and I was stoned, you know, and, and I would pass out and the kids would come over from high school and, you know, probably smoked my weed and whatever. But if I had been drinking and I had a bunch of kids over at my house drunk, that would have been bad, you know, but I, I you know, they probably came over and smoked weed and ate all the pizza that I would order. But it's, it's you, know, you know what I mean? And then I'm like thinking, oh, my God, you guys smoke my weed. And I find this out like decades later. But it's like, you know, it's like capacity. People have capacity in their life for certain things. And, and drugs 
help you, whether they're prescription or, or, you know, cannabis, you know, and I think that um, the drugs that make you addicted, uh, alcohol, all that stuff, you know, nobody really talks about that, you know, so, you know, nobody's saying that, oh, yeah, it's really good for you to drink, you know, a bottle of booze every day. Nobody's saying that, you know, because it isn't good. So, so I guess, I guess my point here is that it's, it's about choices and making your life work. You know, 12 year olds need to not be thinking about weed and alcohol and anything else. They need to be thinking about school. Minecraft and uh, Fortnite and all the games yeah, they being play. being a kid, yeah. playing outside. Well, no, I, I, I think. I, I was just going to say, Naomi, I, I think that's a completely fair perspective. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, I, for instance, uh, would say that there is a lot of drug use when I was in high school. Um, so and, and they started smoking weed around like 12 or 13. And I thought that was crazy. But I also know people that like lost their virginity around 12 or 13. So like people are making adult decisions at younger ages. And like I've mentioned so many times, um, education is the best way to, to make sure that everyone's being safe in both those, those areas. Um, do you have any like wise things to say, BB, about a uh, 12 year old smoking weed other than don't do it? Do you have any like education for them? Well, maybe not just 12 year olds in general, what would you say is a safe approach to using marijuana or drugs in general? Well, do it with your siblings. <laughs> you know, especially if you have a good relationship with your siblings and, you know, have your first joint be with your big sister, you know, or, or your big brother, you know, and then, and, and a lot of times it's these family occasions, you know, there's a lot of comedy skits about it, you know, where you get your first experience from your bad uncle or crazy uncle or something. But it's, um, it's, I guess, uh, so the question, tell me the question again. I got, I got to say, what are some general rules for safe consumption of drugs? So I, I think, I, I think it's a sibling thing, actually. Like I feel sorry for kids nowadays, you know, cause, because, because I feel like there's just so much more at stake, you know? Um, I just feel like there's just so much more at stake. And if you can be, if you're going to do something and just try it, I would say just try it if you're with a sibling, you know, because to make it actively part of your life is going to, is going to put you in a community where is that going to serve you? And I think that um, when you're younger, it's important to have your own intuition and your own sense of, um, direction that is not influenced by your friends too much. Like, oh, I'm not going to go to that college because my best friend's not going there. So it's the same thing with like, if, if you're too into your community where you get your weed, then you might stop yourself or because it's a relationship that might become too important. And the only important thing that should be the most important thing always in your life is yourself and where you are going. So that's what I would say to a young person. I, I think that's good advice. Um, having that structure or having that like 
support network. So, you know, if you do smoke weed and have like a crazy reaction, whether allergic or just like mentally, you have someone who you trust who can support you. Um, I can definitely see it being a problem if, you know, you're introduced to weed by your friends and then you find out that, you know, your, your dealer is, is the one source of, of weed in your life. And, uh, you, um, make bad decisions in order to continue getting a supply. It's probably better if, uh, you're getting your weed from uh, someone you trust and someone who's not going to take advantage of that, you know, kind of power dynamic. Yeah. That's the power dynamic. I don't miss that at all. Like, you know, now with dispensaries, you just go in there and you just try and be clear about what you want. But the whole, like, I mean, I had a few bad drug dealers where it's like the whole power play and it's like, fuck you. Why does it take three hours to get weed? It was crazy. (laughs) Well, I can, I can tell this story now that I'm 21, but, um, it's still a crime, Naomi. It's still a crime. Yeah, I know. Um, so uh, I I um, smoked my first bowl when I was 16. And it was with my boyfriend at the time. And it was him and a friend that we shared and then another person and then another friend that we shared. So it was like five people all together. And we were on this golf course. And, um, it, yeah, I know such a weird place to do it. Um, we are on this golf course and, um, I get really paranoid with when smoking weed and my friend, um, that was there also had the same reaction. So I didn't know that at the time that I got paranoid because obviously I'd never smoked weed before. So we're on this golf course and, um, I swear to you, I saw aliens that night. I like don't even know what I was smoking, but it was so bad. (laughs) And my other friend that got paranoid thought that we were going to get caught because all of us were underage. All of us were doing something illegal, obviously. Um, So my friends like looking around, like very shifty, like what's going on? There's security guards around this golf course. No one was there. So at one point he just sees a flashlight or something that like somebody else had, um, had, um, like turned on and he just takes off and it caused everybody else who was so high at the time to take off as well. So everybody's running in different directions <laughs> and we're just sprinting in different directions through this golf course. Um, and that was uh, when I realized that weed was not for me. No baby, no weed for you. <laughs> hey, how do we know Naomi didn't actually discover aliens? Yeah. Just throw that out there. Yeah. How do we know that there weren't actually aliens in Tempe, Arizona in 2016? Yeah, it's it's a fair point. I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, I, I think to Naomi's story, like drug use isn't going to be for everyone. Um, and I think that's important to reiterate. You know, some people find it okay and other people do not react well to it. And there's, I think, no shame there. Um, it's important to sort of identify your personal experiences and figure out that, you know, whether or not certain substances um, give you joy or give you like fear. Uh, and I think you should probably um, identify those substances and not make repeat mistakes if that's the case. Well, to BB's point, I would definitely say that that situation would have been a lot better if I was around people that I like really, really trusted. And I feel like because there were so many people there that I didn't trust. I had a bad experience. So it might've just been that like, I need to smoke a joint with BB. Obviously that's what I need to do. <laughs> mm. No, she wants to get arrested <laughs> with her big brother. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. BB, would you say, um, did you have more or less difficulty dating when you made it clear that smoking marijuana was like a non-negotiable part of your life? Or was it what you were talking about in part one where you said it was actually really easy? Everyone was smoking weed constantly. And I found it, you know, easier to, you know, get in bed with someone when uh, there was drug use involved. I think um, everybody was was smoking weed that that I was with, and um, you know it was it was it was very prevalent. It was very prevalent. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, I'm wondering if that's reflective of the social circles you were hanging out with, or more of like a greater social trend. Because if it was a greater social trend, maybe the percentage of people doing drugs has actually declined over time. So in the eighties, I think there was just a lot of drugs, oh, uh, you know, just uh, there was, you know, in different circles and different kind of drugs. But so I think it was just prevalent, especially in my age group, you know, um, and then, and then now I, I'm not quite sure, but, um, you know, back then it was, it was very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I do want to shift topics slightly um, from drug use to another part of your life. Um, And we don't have to dig too much into this, but I'm interested in discussing your experiences with the divorce. We did kind of discuss this briefly in part one, but I'm kind of wondering, what would you say were the reasons that sparked the divorce? And then what was your reaction afterwards? How did that affect kind of your dating life and your perception of relationships? Because it seems like a very impactful thing on your life. Yeah, it was definitely a turning point. Um, I think, uh, I think when you're part of a, a huge unit, um, Jimmy had a lot of family and, um, I loved his big family. Uh, And then you're like, no longer part of this big family. It was, it was a, it was a big, um, it was shocking. It was shocking to my complete, to my whole system because I felt that um, it was this big conspiracy and he had actually uh, been with this person for about a year in Hong Kong. She was also married. So it was, and had worked for the company. So it was, um, it was, it was like, okay, great. So in Hong Kong, the women, the way they get power is they, they have to either have money or sleep their way to power. So basically this is what this woman did. She slept with my husband and then, um, you know, they're traveling around and all this stuff and, going places where I was supposed to be going with my husband and having this life and what I thought was very idyllic and uh, perfect. And like, why wouldn't he want this? And, and he had already changed his mind and decided he wanted to be with this woman. You know, I was like the last one to get the memo. So it was, it was really shocking. And then, um, what was shocking was uh, my ex-mother-in-law or she, she was my mother-in-law at the time. She said, you know, don't, don't, um, don't get a divorce because you want to keep health insurance. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, kill this motherfucker. <laughs> You'll need I, I health insurance when I'm done with him. 
I, you know, I, <laughs> I had so much, so much emotion and, and outrage. It was, um, it was like, I would wake up screaming at 4 a.m. in the morning. Cause I was like, going, fuck, this is not a nightmare. This is your life. And, and now <laughs> I'm like thinking back, like a lot of people get divorced, but I was, I was really shocked. I was super shocked. And then I would, um, I mean, my poor children, they were like down the hall. I would wake their asses up. You know, I mean, I feel so sorry for my children, but, um, in a lot of ways, but especially then, um, and, um, I would smoke weed to calm down. And then at 6am I would go talk to people at the Pete's coffee down the street. And then I finally got some Zoloft for six months so I could like be even, but then I got off of that and I just continued smoking weed, but it was like this six year divorce of me trying to chase this motherfucker all over the world and then trying to find where the money was. And I couldn't find the fucking money because nobody just remember the, the attorney wants to make his house payment. Everybody wants to make your house payment until you can no longer make your house payment. Then they will take your house away. So weed, thank God, got me through everything. It got me through all of that. And, um, and then, and then what it also did was that it's, it's like you, you go through this experience and then you go, okay, who was there? Who was the witness? Who was there? Who could fucking handle it? And there were only a couple of, there was a handful of people. One person's passed, uh, Randy Williams. Um, you know, he was there for that six year, you know, Miss Mosh of life. And, and then a couple of girlfriends who were able to like, you know, handle me and all my emotion. But then at the end of the day, you know, you're left with your choices. Mm. And, and I feel like if, um, I feel like I needed to make better choices in hindsight, but everybody can say that. And, um, as far as weed is concerned, it really, it saved me. It saved Jimmy because at one point I did see him, uh, you know, with Maisie and they were drinking juice or something. And I was driving a car. I could have like run them over. Cause I, I was angry enough, you know, and, and I'm really glad I didn't. You know, uh, I just went home and smoked some more weed and cried, you know, but it's. So what you're saying is weed saves lives. Weed saves lives, baby. <laughs> save my life. Save Jimmy's life. Probably save the boy's life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should I put that on a bumper sticker? I'll probably get my ass pulled over. Weed <laughs> saves lives. <laughs> no, no, put it on a bumper sticker, but you can only drive your car in California. The the cops will, will drive by and they'll see your bumper sticker and they'll be like, oh, she's just a hippie. <laughs> no, I'll put the family, picture of the family. That's whose <laughs> lives I saved. <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah, so I think, um, unfortunately, I haven't really recovered from that uh, part of my life. Um you know, I think when financially you, your life blows up and you haven't worked for 15 years, it's difficult to get back into the field and make the kind of money to, 
support your life and to, you know, have it look anything like it did before or, um, you know, it's just difficult. So. Have you tried dating since the divorce? Has that been something that was ever on the table or is that not something you feel comfortable with? Well, it's so crazy. Like in the very beginning, I'm like, oh God, I'm going to try and find a man, save my life. And I was like, oh God, that was so stupid. Right. And like, well, nobody's going to come save you, save you, you know, nobody's going to do that. And, 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 and now I think, you know, it's totally unreasonable to ask. So, um, I was praying. I thought prayer was like a big uh, way to get what you needed. So I prayed every day for a man to come into my life uh, for a boyfriend. And um, and I really wanted a husband. And so this gentleman who lives in my very small town um, asked me to go for a walk. And so we went walking around the hills for a couple of weeks. And then we ended up being um, boyfriend and girlfriend for for, I think, maybe like two years. And, um, what I, what I noticed was that he had a son, uh, he lived with, and he would never like spend the night with me, even though he, we'd lived like a block away. Right. Mm. And I, and I didn't like, I was like, ah, it doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, so we have sex and then I go home or whatever, or, you know, the other way. And it was just like, that's, that's not, that is not normal. Like if you want somebody into you, they are spooning with you the whole night long. You know, it's not like, oh, let's go travel somewhere for that experience. Hell no, I'm right down the street, right? And then um, a really sad thing happened. His um, son killed himself. Mm. And I think that, and, and, I, and I helped him find him. I knew where he was. Um, it was, it's like, we're always, we're all connected, whatever. It was really sad. But he ended up moving away and, and we were probably going to break up before his son passed because I was like thinking, man, this guy's not, in, he's not going to ask me to marry him. He's not going to, he's not, he's not interested. He's not having those conversations. And so mm -hmm. why am I here? You know, so um, after that, I didn't really date anybody because, because I'm just busy taking care of myself. But Go off. Go off, sis. <laughs> huh? I said, go off, take care of yourself. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm just taking care of myself and just, you know, figuring out what it is that I want. And I also feel too, if I, I wouldn't have started the Princeton cannabis review if I had been in a relationship with somebody because um, it takes, it took a lot of my own self-acceptance and self-awareness to say, I'm going to go out on the internet and say who I am. And then you know, be with somebody and go, Oh, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? And get all that approval. I, I couldn't have done both. You know, I don't think I could have done both. So now, now I'm out there and now I get the catfishers, but, um, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> I'm not into, I'm not dating right now though. No. <laughs> so you're not, I'm not sure what that would look like. <laughs> you're not actively seeking relationships right now. No, I'm not. I'm not. But I definitely think it's about um, 
attraction. So you got to be in front of me, not not in not behind a computer screen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think that to further your point, I think that something that I've found within the last year is if you're going to have passion projects like a like a podcast or you're going to pursue um, situations or um uh, uh, projects that you want to be a part of, you should have someone that you're dating that will fully support you. And you shouldn't have someone that like that they'll push you to do more. You shouldn't be with someone that is sitting there and, and is unsure about what your future will look like. That's a lot of boxes. Check off girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Well, it's also this interesting situation where I think you could argue that having someone else in your life would make your life simpler to the extent that that's another person you can split rent with, someone who can do the dishes, do the laundry, whatever, you know, it's cutting Access. out a lot of, yeah, it's cutting out a lot of things that you would have to do as an individual by, you know, sort of combining energies and synergizing in that regard. But to your point, like, because you have to do all that stuff by yourself, it's difficult to find the time and the energy to go out and pursue somebody. So there are like objective benefits to, you know, having that presence in your life. But at the same time, because you don't, it's very difficult. You need a boyfriend to go find a boyfriend, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I, I think the best part uh, that I, or the, the best part that I miss about a relationship is having somebody really care about how my day is going, if, mm. if, if I got all my little needs met, you know, like you see that, in, you see that in a relationship and, it, and that is, that is just so sweet. That is so sweet. So um, maybe one day I'll, soon I'll have that again. <laughs> Let me take some notes. Boys, ask your significant other how their day went. <laughs> I mean, to that point, is there anything else, any other advice you might give to people who are, you know, pursuing someone, any advice you'd give to people who are in relationships about how they should conduct themselves besides not cheating with people in Hong Kong? Oh yeah, please. Can you just, you know, I mean, stay single fucking focused, please, please, please. And mind that one person just... Uh, I think that's what it is. It's like, find, find out what you can find out about that person and keep on finding, digging for more because people are really interesting and people have had a lot of experiences. They can't, they can't tell you or they can't, you know, express to you until, until you, you, there's time and space for that, you know, and, you know, kind of like just do your homework, you know, and, and, and then enjoy the fruits. I think that's good advice. Um, to a certain extent, I, I would say the people I find the most compelling are those that, to an extent, I know the least about. Like once I've discovered, you know, the the dark secrets of people's past, or you know, some hidden piece of you know a, a job they used to have or an experience they went through. To a certain extent, I do find them a little less compelling. I'm like, oh, I've solved this person. I've, you know, fit all the puzzle pieces together and I have a complete perspective of their character. And I think that potentially is part of the appeal of dating is you have these complete strangers who you have to kind of like figure out 
and like make sense of, you know, why is it they do the things they do? Why is it that they, you know, act in certain ways? Why is it they're compelled to do X, Y, and Z? And I, I don't think you, I, I don't think it's right to say that once you've figured out a person, you're no longer going to be attracted to them. But I do think there's a certain level of mystery and allure, which really enhances relationships when you're still fitting all the puzzle pieces together. I agree. And it's just that whole play of energy. Like, how do you feel when you're with that person? Are you feeling, you're always feeling good, you know, and, and that's that, and how to, how to keep that energy up. It's just, it's like a dance. And, um, and I think that's, that's part of the longevity part, but it's, um, the discovery is really fun and hanging out. Yeah. And maybe this is the, far too many business school luncheons I went to as an ASU student talking the whole like hustle culture of, you know, all the entrepreneurship programs at ASU. But I do think there's something to the idea that as an individual, regardless of age, you should strive to constantly be improving yourself in some degree. And I don't mean like, you know, working out or fitness, but like reading exploring, having fun with like hobbies and activities and doing stuff out in public and groups and, you know, really expanding who you are as a person and constantly kind of redeveloping as your interests change over time. Um, and I think potentially one reason that relationships stagnate is because people fall into the same patterns and don't do anything to improve themselves. And that's not to say that I think people need to be constantly learning violin and, you know, picking up French and, um, I don't know, base jumping on their, their, their days off. It's just to say like, again, once you solve someone, their appeal slightly goes down to an extent. And I think you can really keep that spark going by, you know, coming up with new hobbies and doing new things that interest you. And it's not to say, do it because you need to be a better person, do it because you care about it, do it because like you're interested in that thing genuinely. And I think, you know, the romance kind of follows from it. I, I agree because I think what it is is it's like an elevated form of play. You can continue mm. to play with that person, and and if you if you're just ruminating or going over your like people my age, it's like sometimes I go, oh my god, I, I fuck, I'm old. I think I'm old, and I'm like going, oh, I must be old because I've been talking to people my age, and they are old fuckers. They're just dissatisfied with life, <laughs> talking about just. Like, oh my God, you know, ha they have stopped learning. They've stopped playing. They've stopped interacting with life and they're just very dissatisfied. And I'm like going, oh, okay, this isn't, um, th th I need to leave as soon as I can basically, because um, it, 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 if you're not engaging with the person that's most important to you, then, you know, your life isn't that exciting. It's not, it's not, um, it's not moving. You're just, you're just getting ready to die. Well, like, that's basically the way it feels. And, and or then, then, then the relationship dies or people, you know, want a new life. So they get somebody new. Yeah. I almost wonder if that's kind of the appeal of like cult conspiracy theories in recent years, because like, if you're on Facebook all the time and you stumble across this idea that the Democrats all like drink the blood of children and that, you know, Donald Trump is going to save us from the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And um, there's, you know, secret child sex rings operating out of the basement of pizza parlors. That's like interesting, 
right? Like it might not seem right intuitively, but like that's exciting and different. And you can pretend you're part of something great if you start to, you know, perpetuate these conspiracies and you start to, you know, traffic in them and come up with new elaborate hypotheses that fit into all of that. And so I think, especially for older people in the rut that you're talking about, there's an appeal to being a part of this bigger movement. There's this appeal to being part of something great, even if it's just sitting on their computer and, you know, reposting content. And I think that's potentially frightening where like, rather than doing something that builds yourself up, you're like out there trying to ruin Western civilization. I don't know. Well, it's like people, they go, okay, what's my legacy? They don't have a like they don't or they say I don't have a legacy. I just want to wreak some havoc because I've had a shitty life and I want to have somebody else have a shitty life. You know, or or I can only move I don't want to move. I can move to the kitchen, to the bathroom, to my computer. What can I do? How much how much excitement can I give? You know, so it's it's an addiction to you know, porn, it's an addiction to you know, like you said, conspiracy theories or or feeling part of you know, something that, you know, not everybody, I think that's, this is what's really hard to understand after being on the planet for so long is that not everybody has good intentions. Mm. Not everybody was raised to, to, to have the discernment of right action. What's bad action? What's right action? What, what benefits people? What, what hurts people? you know, and that there's something wrong. So there's the moral compass, you know, it's, um, it's taught and not everybody has, has been in class, unfortunately. So um, it's sad. It's, it's very sad. It's very sad when you find out people um, don't want to do good. Mm-hmm. Totally switching gears here. I would like to, uh, sorry, that was just worse timing to do that. That was a really good point. I, but I would like to get to this since this does kind of interact with our, both of our podcast subjects. Um, what do you think is an appropriate role for like drugs and relationships? I think that we have kind of like touched around this subject, but we haven't gotten like a clear answer from you since you are the expert in the situation. Um, I've had obviously situations in my life where drugs have played a huge role in relationships um, and that was not healthy. So what is your perspective on that? Yeah, we dated a Molly dealer for a while. No, I did not. (laughs) I think that, um, I think that if, if you're, if you have a habit, so I have a habit of, of smoking weed. I need to be with somebody who probably smokes weed or has weed in his life or something like that. If, because, because I've made the decision that, you know, weed helps me in my life and, and, and we're, I'm using it as, as medicine because if I smoked it this long, it's medicine. And so if you're dating and you're with somebody like, I think that would be like one of the first things I would ask if, if you, are into cannabis, like, you know, do you smoke? Because if somebody does not smoke, doesn't matter how hot they are and whatever, it's not really going to end well. So then just notice that, okay, I'm just in it for this minute and then take advantage of that. And then do not 
try and change that person. That's all. When you but, say you would prefer that they smoke, is this something you want to do with them recreationally, like just sitting in the living room smoking? Or would it be more of like, I'm going to do my thing, smoking a bowl, you're going to smoke your you know, cigarette half an hour later, you know, we'll work around our personal schedules. No, I, I prefer to smoke with, but it's like if, if, um, uh, you know, I, I prefer to smoke with, but if somebody doesn't smoke as much as I do or smokes less or something like that, as long as they smoke something, because I think what happens when people don't use it at all, then it can be something that they might want to change about me because it's different than them down the road. So I think that because it's a big part of my life, um, and, and then just because I'm an advocate, it would have to be a big part of their life too, because it's 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 almost like my passion now. So um, for work, I I'm a recruiter for the architecture and design industry, but I'm not. That's not what my passion is. So my passion is cannabis. So they have to be passionate about weed too, and and maybe want to learn. So maybe I'm asking a lot more from somebody right now. But um, if I was just going to date somebody and not figure out to have a, a long-term relationship with them, then they would still need to smoke because it, right. I mean, it's, it's a big part, you know? And I, I think that makes sense that as you age, your standards go up and the number of things you expect from people probably goes up too. Cause you've probably had, you know, a series of relationships where you figured out what works and doesn't work for you. Um, you've identified, you know, the needs in terms of financial resources or like emotional resources you need from individuals in a relationship. You know how well you do by yourself versus in a relationship. So there needs to be an objective benefit to pairing up with someone. And so, yeah, I think it makes complete sense that, you know, the number of things on your checklist would only expand over time if you continue dating as you aged. Um, you know, when you're younger, you probably want someone who tells you you're pretty and interesting. Um, you know, I, I think if you're dating someone in college, you probably want someone who maybe has some walking around money so you can go and do stuff. Um, and then in your 30s, you probably want someone who has life and career goals that roughly correspond to like what you're aiming for. But yeah, I can only imagine that getting that list getting longer and longer over time until it's a Harry Potter length novel of things that people need to meet in order to <laughs> puzzle piece fit their way into your life. That's true. I don't know, Naomi, you're younger than both of us and uh, <laughs> offer a slightly different perspective. Would you agree with that assessment? Or would you say that like, there's less things that you expect from people now that you've been in multiple relationships? Well, I would say that like, I would agree with BB in the sense that if you have something that you're super passionate about, it's better to um, have someone that you're dating that relates to you about it. Uh Um, I would say like the closest thing that like, I mean, like that I've experienced is I don't like smoke. Um, we, we, we talked about this in the last episode, but like in past relationships, that's been a big part of people's lives and, and just drug use in general. And I never understood that. So that was a huge disconnect that, um, that was, it was really hard to get past. Um, now I would say that like the, the easiest thing that I can relate to on is maybe, um, video games. Um, I don't play video games and people that I date, uh, 
are very into video games. And, and so I kind of have to step into that and, and ask them, oh, did you win your game? Or I, I don't know anything about video games. I'm going to be honest with you. But um, you kind of have to uh, ask leading questions and, and try to understand that because that is something they're passionate about. Um, I would say that personally, um, that that my standards have gone up since because of the relationships that I've had. So I think that standards either you they start high or they go up as time goes on. And I would say that um, BB, for instance, I don't think you're asking a lot to have a, a relationship with someone that relates to you on that subject. Like that isn't a high standard. That's just something that you are interested in. So that's just my perspective on it. Yeah. And I think we talked about this last episode as well. There's been a um, kind of democratization of like knowledge that people have concerning like skeevy individuals and how they approach dating and, you know, people who have ill intent. And now more and more people understand the tactics they utilize and how to avoid predatory individuals. And so to a certain extent, I would say over time in any given population, the base level of standards people have is only going to rise because the understanding, the, the collective understanding of, you know, what's acceptable in a relationship is only going to go up and up over time, assuming you have like the free flow of information and, you know, discourse on uh, media. Um, you know, there are a lot of things I'm sure back in the day that were like completely acceptable that people put up with, whether it be um, men taking all the women's assets and being like the one who, you know, controlled them. I, I think there, were, it wasn't until like oh, the 1990s. Only put a Ira in my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it, it wasn't until like the 1990s that I think it was required that like women be able to get credit cards, same as their spouses in the United States. Um, you know, there's the horrifying reality that like marital rape was just acceptable in the United States until the early 2000s. Um, you know, there's things that people considered normal because they don't know any better. And it's only with like discussion and discourse that that can change. Goodness, Thanks for having these discussions. It's important. Joel, I think that this is a good place to ask our final question to our wonderful guest, BB. Would you like to ask it? Um, I don't have the list in front of me. Why don't oh, you okay. I can ask it. I can ask it. So BB, your house and everything you own is catching fire. After oh, saving no. your loved ones and pets, you have time to safely make a final dash to save one item. What would it be and why? So, like, if it was smart baby, it would be, like, all those papers and stuff, whatever, or <laughs> you're supposed to save, right? No. I didn't, I still don't want to save. I don't, still, it's not going to be that one. What I realized, it's this tapestry that my mother made when she was pregnant with my big sister. And it's about mm, nine feet by about six feet. Oh, my God. And I thought, oh, I'd run in there and I'd jump up on the table and I'd rip that off the wall and I'd run out of the house. And then I thought, well, why would you do that, baby? And what I realized is that um, she had a vivid imagination. And this tapestry is a picture, a depiction of Venice. And for those of you haven't been on the internet and don't know about Venice. It's a city submerged in water. 
So there's all these buildings and people and boats. And I've looked at this tapestry um, all my life. And what I love about it is um, when I saw my, and when I met my big brother, her first child, uh, when I was about 40, he told me that um, this came out of her imagination. And she had designed this tapestry and had made it. So I wanted to take a piece of her legacy and honor my imagination, her imagination, and bring that with me. That, that, that is what I would find of value. I think that's a beautiful answer. Thanks. I was hoping for something more amusing, like a big Ziploc baggie full of weed, but th oh. that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the weed's everywhere. That's the best thing about weed. Weed is everywhere. You can have no weed and you will find it on the street. I found some in Australia. It was great weed. So, <laughs> so it's true. Weed, weed takes care of you. If, you. if you're in touch with weed, weed will find you. Phoebe's <laughs> going to go to space and on the first moon colony, plant some seeds. <laughs> that's, that's where we'll find the big baggie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're like, oh, this uh, space module, it's overweight by several pounds. Where's all that extra weight coming from? Top shelf. <laughs> Incredible. Well, Bibi, we really do appreciate you coming on our podcast. Uh, I think you've offered some genuinely great words of wisdom and knowledge about your personal experiences growing up and dating and smoking weed. Um, and I think that's going to be very helpful and interesting for our audience. Well, thank you, Joel and Naomi. I love you guys dearly. I had a great time this uh, morning recording with you and sharing uh, my perspective on cannabis and dating and and, and just uh, really proud of you all for uh, putting this information out because if we don't a lot of people don't know what they don't know. and um, I feel like you guys, I'm so proud of you for empowering women because I feel like a lot of women are going to be empowered by all the information that you're putting out and um, it's going to, it's going to help us. So thank you. Hey, don't get us wrong. <laughs> we're, we're empowering men to be less shitty too. Oh, that's right. Oh my God. Oh my God. Joel just does this podcast to get the ladies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, you should. You should. It's well-deserved. Oh, you nice woman coming your way. <laughs> I got uh, 15 t-shirts that say, this is what a feminist looks like. This is what what? A feminist looks like. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do this for reasons other than picking up women. I want Baby really believed in you there. You shouldn't do that to her. She was so excited. <laughs> want me to crush her at the end of all of this? <laughs> um, BB, for those who, for whatever reason, didn't listen to episode one, where can people find you online? Uh, uh, www, uh, Princeton Cannabis Review. And then I'm also on Instagram, uh, Princeton Cannabis Review. And I'm sure awesome, if awesome. you were to ask her, DM her any questions about weed, she will happily uh, reply to you. So, um, go put that out there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I would very be happy to be in touch with anyone who wants to 
talk about weed with me. Thank you. <laughs> Good to hear. Uh, well, I think that's all we have for today. Um, thank you once more, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for the use of our theme music, which is the song Drop by Ketza. You can find more of their music online at ketza.uk. You can also find Date These Guys online on Twitter and Instagram at Date These Guys, or visit our website at datetheseguys.org. If you have questions you'd like us to discuss in the podcast or marriage proposals for either of us, shoot us an email at datetheseguys at gmail.com.